0: All right, well, good morning. Welcome to St. John. Uh, My name is Andy Adet, and I recognize that for most of you, I am a new face up here. I'm actually our small groups director here at St. John. I work with our small groups, of course, Iron Men, and then uh, various ministries in our life journey path. Uh, But I'm excited uh, to be here because I'm not just a small groups director here, I'm also here for another reason. I am a a fourth year. fieldwork student at Concordia Seminary, uh, which means I'm almost done uh, with my training to be a pastor. I'm so close. I can taste it. I'm excited, uh, but I get to be up here uh, because of that uh, sharing the message with you guys this morning. And I recognize, you know, it wasn't too long ago that I was actually sitting uh, in the pews of my favorite home church up in Minnesota listening to my favorite pastor preach. And because of that, I know that it's very likely that a lot of you guys here have a favorite pastor because of that, I also recognize that that guy is not me. Which is why I'm really glad that we're going through this series, Ideal Family. Because we're dealing some, with some really difficult topics. Uh, some stuff that's hard uh, to handle. Uh, but at the same time, uh, transcends the person who's up here. And so because of that, let me pray for us uh, in this message. Lord God, uh, you've created us into these uh, messy things called families sometimes. And I know that there's a lot of people sitting here who are coming from a lot of different places. Uh, Some brokenness, uh, some confusion, some it doesn't look like it should be. And wherever we are here today, Lord, I pray uh, that you would touch us uh, with uh, hope. Uh, Touch us with a greater meaning for what our families uh, can be in our lives. And help us to see uh, the purpose that you have for our families and what a deep, commitment and connection looks like there. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, So not too long ago, about a year ago, I became a parent. And it was at that point where I was let into this uh, reality, this kind of dark side of parenting that I didn't realize existed until I had a kid. And that's this dark side of comparison and and, uh, contrasting kids. Especially it's worse if you have a family member or a neighbor who has a kid that's anywhere close in age to yours. Because it's this game of like, oh, my kid can do this mine can do that. Yours can't do that? That's weird. They should be at that development stage by now. And so there's these victories and there's these defeats that we feel uh, as parents towards our kids. And I found this uh, this past week really clearly at the water park. I have a one-year-old named Lydia. Uh, She's a little water park terror, uh, especially in the toddler section of the water park. Loves to splash around, run, uh, steal toys, all that good stuff. Uh, But it was just me and her And then this other mom with her son who looked like uh, he was really close in age to Lydia. And it was bizarre to me as this mom watched Lydia and everything that she did and compared it to her son. Uh, So Lydia's sitting there splashing in the water and this mom goes up to her son and she's like, Hey, do you want to splash in the water too? Uh, Or Lydia jumps up, and she's splashing in the water and running around. And the mom's like, hey, you you could stand. You can run, too, just looking at Lydia this whole time. And it was so weird. Uh, But this little boy, he didn't want anything to do with that. He was just content to sit with his bucket in the water and just splash around and watch Lydia be crazy. But this mom was not content with that because she wanted more. And so finally, with this look of almost accusation, she looks at me, and she's like, how old is she? And I had to say, like, oh, she's about a year. And I saw this defeated look on her as she sits back and she's like, huh, so is he. And it was weird because I was fine up until that moment. But that moment when she said that, I felt like I won. And I don't know why I felt like I won, but I did. And so there's this dark side of parenting, and all of us can fall into it so easily. And the amazing thing is this doesn't stop with kids, right? Like this continues as they grow. It seems like every year you see one of those news stories about a mom or a dad who who runs out on the field because she's mad at the ref. Uh, She's mad that he had the nerve to call something against my kid. Or you see them yelling at coaches, yelling at other parents, or sometimes even uh, you see those YouTube videos of them going after other kids. And it's just so crazy how uh, for our children, their victories are ours, their defeats are ours. And we start to blur the lines uh, between who's who anymore and what's the difference between me And my kid, and these aren't just always like uh, mentally unstable people. Some of them might be, but not all of them, right? We just have these deep commitments uh, to our families, uh, but they shake out in some ways that are really misdirected and really twisted uh, sometimes. And a couple months ago, I was reading this article uh, called The Attack of the Helicopter Parents on MBA Students. And so there's this reality, right, of helicopter parents who just hover over their kids. They can't let them go. They have to be involved in everything. And that goes even further now. It's not just our kids anymore. It's not even high schoolers or undergrads. These are master's level, uh, 20- and 30-something-year-old adults, and their parents are going with them to interviews. Or their parents are calling up admissions counselors to make sure uh, that these kids have everything in line. And it doesn't stop there because they go with them to job interviews. And they even call up bosses to check in on how their kid is doing in their career. And it's just ridiculous, it sounds like. Uh, but this is the blurred line of what it means to really commit to our families. What it means to really have uh, this deep uh, our regard for who they are, uh, how they grow. And this isn't just parent and kids, right? Like we've got a lot of kids here. Uh, we deal with this issue all the time. We have brothers and sisters or cousins, and we have to figure out uh, how does this work to love and live in a family. And sometimes we compete who has the most trophies, who can get the better grades, or sometimes who can get mom's attention uh, because we act out the most. And so they have to pay attention to me if I'm in trouble all the time. And for others of us, what does a deep family commitment look like with that weird uncle who always shows up to family gatherings? How do I deal with him? And then there's others of us who we're not even thinking about ideal in our families, uh, we come from such brokenness. We come from abuse. We come from neglect. Uh, some of us don't even know our biological parents. And so we're sitting out here and we're thinking, ideal, uh, shoot, I would settle for dysfunctional. That would be okay. I'm not even thinking about ideal because uh, things have gotten so bad. And then there's others of us who are sitting here and we're like, my family's 500 miles away. What does it mean to have an ideal family when I don't even see them regularly? Uh, But wherever you are in this spectrum, I'm glad you're here today. And I'm glad we're talking about this because God has something to teach us about families and especially about their purpose. You see, so many times uh, we have this idea that I have a, a personal plan. God has a plan for my life. Uh, But do you ever sit and think uh, that God has specifically and uniquely created you uh, into these weird systems called families for a purpose? Uh, That God has something bigger in store uh, for your family that goes beyond just launching people out uh, into success. Uh, God wants to do something with your family, your family specifically. Uh, to get there, I want to just tell you a little bit of the context for the scripture uh, we're dealing with. Uh, see, this scripture comes from First Timothy. A guy named Paul is writing this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus has died. He's risen again. He's sent out uh, disciples to send the gospel, this message of forgiveness. Uh, but what I want to do with this word gospel is I want to be really clear about this. You see, gospel isn't just Jesus died on the cross to forgive you for your sins so that someday you can go to heaven. I mean, yeah, that's true, uh, but we're missing so much if that's your definition. The gospel is so much more uh, than a get-out-of-hell-free card. Uh, The gospel impacts and changes lives, and that's why 2,000 years ago, lives changed families that changed neighborhoods, that changed communities, that changed the whole world. Uh, The world how we know it right now is so shaped by Christianity Hospitals are here because Christians decided the gospel meant something for hurt and sick people now. Schools are here because Christians decided everybody deserves an education because the gospel matters right now. And you can see this working in our lives. Addicts find freedom from their addictions when God comes into their life. Uh, People decide and and get the experience of my past doesn't matter anymore. Uh, The things I've done, they don't have to label me. I don't have to be uh, defined by those things. And so the gospel uh, goes so much further and so much deeper. And Paul knows this, and Paul's a great leader. And Paul's looking forward to the next generation because he's a great leader. And he's telling Timothy, uh, this gospel is changing people, and I see it happening in families. And so, what we're about to read is Paul talking about t- to Timothy about the power of families, the potential families have, and what they can do in our lives, in our communities, and even in this world. And so, jump with me uh, to First Timothy, starting at uh, chapter five, verse one. It says, "Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers." and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now, uh, do you ever get to the point where you're reading Scripture, uh, you open up the Bible, you're reading through stuff, and you're like, this has nothing to do with me. Uh, My life situation is so different from what this says that I'm either going to close it or just kind of turn and point my finger to another part because this uh, sure as heck isn't doing it. I think if you're one of these people uh, who come from brokenness, If your dad was abusive, if your mom was never there, Uh, maybe your brother was a jerk and still is, your sister was the type that's always one-upping you, and you think uh, how I'm supposed to treat my family and other people uh, is based on the family. I don't want anything to do with that because my family is terrible. Why would I treat anybody like that? Uh, You've seen the power that dysfunctional families can have. The power of devastation. You've seen the power of hurt and brokenness and how it so deeply impacts our lives, people's lives. There's so much hurt. And if that's true, I think, doesn't the opposite have to be true as well? If families have so much potential for hurt and pain, don't families also have so much potential for good? And so that's why Paul's writing this part, because the ideal family is the standard, the gold standard, because Paul sees such potential for families who are acting in their ideal to change lives and to change other families. And all it starts with is for people, broken people, Uh, to make that decision. Uh, I'm going to change my family's trajectory. I'm going to change how we've been working and see some purpose and some hope for once. And and this ideal, this gold standard, works out like this. We're going to continue through Timothy. He says, give uh, proper recognition to these widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. He continues on, The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. And check out this verse, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Uh, Now my bet is if you checked out during this scripture, you came back right here. Because there were some powerful words, right? Uh, Anyone who doesn't provide for their relatives has denied the faith, is worse than an unbeliever, And now if you're sitting here and you wouldn't consider yourself a Jesus follower, you're not necessarily a part of the movement. Maybe you're here because you're interested. Maybe you're here because someone dragged you here. And you read that and you're thinking, uh, just typical, right? Christians bashing on non-Christians. That's not at all what this is saying. This is doing the exact opposite. Right here, this is Paul actually urging Christians on and saying to do exactly what verse 4 says put your religion into practice put your faith into practice you see if if we christians if we jesus followers really have this gospel this gospel that really does change lives and make a difference if we have that uh, but we hold it to ourselves and we can't even put it into practice in, in our families Uh, The people who are supposed to be closest to her. Uh, Is that really faith? And then uh, other people who who don't claim this gospel but still live it out in their families. You're no better than them. You're worse than that. And so if you're sitting here, this isn't a knock towards you if you don't believe. Uh, This is doing exactly what may have kicked you out of church, which is the hypocrisy. This is addressing that right there. So I want to invite you to kind of sit back and say, yeah, do this, Christians. Because this is exactly what Paul is urging us onto right now. Uh, Because he sees the potential that families have, uh, the potential uh, to be a support system uh, that mirrors what God has done. Uh, what, What the family can do, what the family has potential to do is to be a support system uh, that does God's love to one another. Uh, You see, none of us uh, did anything uh, to get created into this world, right? Uh, There were two people that kind of loved each other enough to uh, make us be here. And then we came into this world uh, naked. We came into this world needing our diaper changed. Uh, We had to have people who would hold us and take care of us and feed us and bring us places and love us. And what God is saying is that that reality is exactly the same reality that I have as your heavenly father. I created you because I loved you. You didn't do anything to deserve that, to earn that. And when you mess up, when you find yourself in sin, I forgive you because I love you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. And so families, when you guys love each other, when you guys sacrifice for each other, uh, when you guys forgive one another, uh, what you're actually doing uh, right here in this moment is doing God's love to one another. And, And you start to see the potential that's there. In that, Uh, because you can see the potential of what doing God's love or not doing God's love uh, can do to our families. Uh, How many children have left faith because they haven't even experienced God's love in their own family? And when Paul talks about widows, we went through this paragraph after paragraph of scripture talking about widows. What Paul is doing is he's addressing the very real concern that I think is out here for those of us who have less than ideal families. For those of us who are like, well, that's great if you come to church with your, with your wife or your mom or your dad or your siblings. And it's all kind of there and together. But what about me? What about me as a single person? What about me as someone who's coming from that broken family? What about me who's coming from divorce or the variety of things that keep our families from being less than ideal? What Paul is saying is that's the point of the church, of being the church. Because when you don't feel like you have family, you have family here. And what that means is when you walk in by yourself and when you see people walk in by themselves, they shouldn't have to feel like they're by their, th- themselves. That's our job. That's our calling. We're their family. And, and so how we are family to each other in, in a very real way is how people experience God's love. And so the potential for us as families, uh, more than any other system out there, Is for people to tangibly see how God loves and how God provides for us in our lives. And I think a lot of us want that. A lot of us know that that's important and that we should be going after that. But the problem is, is how do I do that in a way that's actually healthy? Like, is it healthy to be the kind of parent uh, that is uh, just kind of paving the way for my kids through life? And not actually uh, helping them learn how to fail now, but I'm just being that helicopter parent who's just helping them through life the whole way through. And then when they finally experience difficulty as an adult, it becomes crippling. Is that healthy? Is that what deep commitment looks like? Or what about us here, and especially here in the suburbs? We live overbooked lives full of clubs and organizations and responsibilities and volunteering and all of this stuff that seems like a really great commitment but is it really healthy for our families for the only time we see each other and interact with each other uh, to be in a car ride back and forth uh, from thing to thing or how about uh, and this is a tough one in our culture uh, what does deep love and commitment look like Uh, When we ship our aging parents and grandparents off to nursing homes uh, to live out the rest of their days. Uh, What does commitment look like there? And I hope you're kind of feeling this tension. And you may even be uh, struggling a little bit, wanting to push back because this is tough. And I want to invite you to just kind of embrace that tension for a minute. Because I know that God is teaching us something in that. God wants to work through that tension uh, to build an idea of what the greater purpose for families are. You see, the purpose is so much more uh, than just uh, living successful lives as individuals and hoping that our families can help us get there. It's so much more uh, than keeping up with the Joneses. It's so much more than being the best family on the block who has the most stuff or the best image. The purpose is to be the type of family... That when others see us and they see our interactions, they see God. That's heavy. The purpose that God has for our families, the unique reason he has created you into this group of weird and awkward and messy people is to be the type of people that when others see us, despite all that, they see God. And here's the kicker. They might not even know that it's God that they're seeing, but they see something different about you. They see a family who knows how important it is to pour into themselves, and so they'll say no to things. No, I can't do that. We have to step back right now and spend some time together. They'll see a family who's willing to allow their kids to mess up and fail a little bit. Because it will teach them some character as they grow up. They'll see a family who's committed to forgiving one another. And the gospel begins to shine through. And people see families who, who for the first time ever after years have been brought together. Because they're willing to step out and offer forgiveness. And what this does is, this puts legs to the faith that we claim. Uh, this keeps us from simply talking the talk, and all of a sudden we walk the walk because others can see how our family lives differently, and they begin to say, I want that for mine. I want to live as that type of family uh, that's noticed, that's different, uh, but different in a good way because it's inspiring. It shows people that there's so much more. And they begin to see God in your family. And so your family uh, becomes one of your greatest tools uh, to share faith with others. How you live, how you treat one another. And for those of you who come from some difficult and different situations, uh, you're not off the hook here uh, because you've been uniquely placed uh, where you work Where you play with the people who you regularly interact with, that they've become your family. And we here are your family. And how you interact with each other, how we interact with each other gets noticed. And I just think, and I just wonder, what if we did that? Like, what if that just started right now, that the family's sitting here, uh, turned to each other, looked at each other, and said, you know what, let's do that. Let's step away from some things. Uh, Let's address this issue that's here that we just don't really like to talk about, but it's there. Uh, Let's do some of the difficult things to build the kind of relationship now that could matter for someone else's eternity. What kind of purpose is that? I think it's just so much greater and so much more fulfilling than any other purpose you could imagine our families uh, being out here. And I think that this would create and start the kind of gospel movements that we saw 2,000 years ago. A lot of people like to say the church is dying. The institutional church is failing. Christianity is kind of dying away. And you know what? It might look like it's true, but the gospel's not dying. Jesus isn't dead. And Jesus is still moving and he's still working. And where you can see that happening is in families that live differently. And despite the cultural pressure, and despite everything that's going on around us, we sacrifice, we forgive, and we commit to doing this because we know that God is blessing it, and He's going to use our family to bless other people. That's going to make an impact long after our family went away. Uh, this kind of thing it would change neighborhoods, would change our city. And I don't think it's being too idealistic. I think this is something that could really actually tangibly happen. We've seen it before. And so I just want to close right now with just some prayer and some hope that God would so stir in you and in me the desire to go deep with our families, uh, with the people who are next to us, in order to make a tangible dent In his kingdom. Uh, So that through our family tree, God's family tree would get bigger. That's something to live for. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you uh, that you have given us um, an opportunity unlike anything else. And the amazing thing is it's not an opportunity uh, that I have to add something into my life to do. It's not another thing on the list of already busy schedules. But God, you've already built me into a family. You've built all of us into families. And wherever we are in that, I pray that you would uh, reach in and inspire us. Uh, Help us to deal with some difficult issues. Help us uh, to commit to one another. And help us to see the impact that we can make just as a family. Help us to see, Lord, that it's not about us or what we do or what we say or how we do it and how we say it, but it's simply about you as so moving in us and in our family that we can't help but reflect you. I pray, Lord, that this week uh, your love would be felt tangibly uh, through the family sitting right here. And I pray that someone who's never felt what a real family means and what a real family does, but would start to feel that right now. Lord, the ideal isn't always real, but it doesn't mean it's not something to strive for. And I pray that you would motivate us, equip us, and empower us to be doing that right here, right now. In your name we pray.